really exciting. We're posed, posed to fit, poised to finish chapter 37 today. After probably two months, I'm going to say. Let me put on everybody on mute. Mute all. Okay, so if you remember, we started off this chapter understanding that the ultimate reality, the, the purpose of creation, where Hashem is going to have a home in this world, a place where his essence is totally felt and shining, is really part and parcel of what we're doing right now. Although we can't see it, we're creating that future because we take things of this world and we pull them out of the realm of Klippat Noga, that shell that hides Hashem but is rectifiable, and we elevate it to holiness. And when we do that, we also elevate our own animal soul. And then we started to look at the mitzvah of tzedakah and see how that elevates the entirety of the world in a way that nothing else does. And then the altar of a singled out the mitzvah of studying Torah. And he said, there's a reason why our sages said that Torah study outweighs them all. There's something about Torah study that exists in no other mitzvah. And what is that? That when a person studies Torah, they don't just use the external layer the external garment of their animal soul, the garment of action, but they actually use the garment of thought and the garment of speech, which has an influence on the animal soul itself. And furthermore, through Torah study, we even have this power to transform the essence of the animal soul. And this creates a home for Hashem down here below. It's not just us acting in a way that changes the world, but it's aligning our animal self with that consciousness. Our animal soul through studying Torah, comes to align with the divine idea. And that is huge in creating a home for Hashem down here, aligning our animal consciousness with the divine. So that was phase one, that it was the inner garments of the animal soul. And even the animal soul's identity is transformed through Torah study. And then the altar was said, and here's something else. When we do a mitzvah, we're pulling down divine life force similar to the life force that's within the limbs of the body. When we study Torah, we're pulling down the divine life force that's similar to life force, which is within the brains, within the mind. And that is a much more higher level of life force. But here in this last section of chapter 37, the altar is going to tell us something about Torah study that's just going to blow your mind. It surpasses anything so far that we've learned about the incredible quality of Torah study. So I know that everybody's printed booklets are a little bit different. In mine, we're on page 21. Until here, the Alter Rebbe has discussed the superiority of Torah study over other mitzvot in terms of its greater influence on the soul. He now begins to describe a far greater quality found in Torah study. Of all the mitzvot, only Torah study is described as calling to God as one calls to his friend and as a son calls to his father as the Alter Rebbe will state shortly. Whereas mitzvot have the effect of drawing the light of God, meaning of his will upon the soul, Torah study calls God's essence to man, as is implied in the analogy of one who calls his friend. The friend will turn his entire essence to face his caller. Furthermore, as a means of calling God, Torah study is superior even to prayer. For this reason, in the verse, God is near to all who call him, to all who call him in truth, the first part of the verse refers to prayer and the latter to Torah. The difference between the two forms of calling God is that prayer affects a change in material matters, 
healing, prosperity, etc. Whereas the effect of Torah is in the soul, on the spiritual plane, in the Alter Rebbe's words. So now we're going to understand that Torah study calls the very essence of God. Now, when we talk about the essence of God, we should mention the words of the Maharal. He said that we cannot even describe the essence of the human soul. The soul is unfathomable in its essence. How much more so the essence of the creator. And here we're saying that when we study Torah, we don't just call to Hashem. We actually call his very essence down upon us. Now, there's two, Hasidus talks about two kinds of names. There's descriptive names, like they'll say somebody is wise or pious or kind. And then there are essential names. There's Jill and Karen and Frida. And you would say, okay, which name is more connected to the person, right? You would think on a superficial level, you're going to look at it, of course, wise, pious, kind. That's more connected to the person. What is somebody's particular name, Sarah? How does that describe the person? But in fact, the opposite is true. The descriptive names only speak about a person's qualities, they are but manifestations of the essence, but they're not the very essence. The private individual name is actually connected to the person's very essence. Like if somebody faints, God forbid, you don't say, hey, wise person, wake up. You call them by their name. But what does their name say about them? Nothing that you know. And yet that calls the totality of the person. That specifically is what Torah study is. When we pray to Hashem, we call him by names and different names of Hashem refer to different ones of his attributes. For example, Kael is connected to kindness and Elohim is connected to justice. But when we call Hashem through the Torah, it's like calling the person's private name. That's not about any specific manifestation of the soul, nothing about the intellect or the emotions, just the very essence. It's like calling someone by their name. Pretty, pretty wild. Vahine. Hamshacha vahaarazai. Shaadam mamshech umeyer mehaaraz ar ain saif baruchu al nafshay. But al nafshay's call Yisrael. This influence and illumination generated by one's Torah study, which man draws from the radiance of the ain sof light upon his soul and upon the souls of all Israel. He hashchina, Knesses Yisrael, Mikor kol nishmes Yisrael, Kemai sheis ba'er lekaman. Meaning, as will be explained later on in Tanya, in chapters 41 and 52, that the light is drawn into the spiritual level known as Shechina, the Knesses Yisrael, the source of all the souls of Israel, and thereby the Ein Sof light reaches not only the soul of the person studying Torah, but also that of every Jew. So when we call Hashem through Torah, we call down his very essence upon the source of our soul. Now, what is the source of our soul? There is a place where all the Jewish people essentially form one entity. As we've come down, as we've evolved through the worlds, we become separate identities, clothed in separate bodies. But if we trace the soul high enough, there is a place where all Jewish souls are essentially one. It's called Knesses Yisrael. Knesses is from the word 
mechunasot, gathered together, fused, the assembly of all the souls of Israel. And do you know what this divine level is? The assembly of all the souls of Israel? It's the Shekhinah. This may just blow your mind because we talk about the Shekhinah, the divine presence. This is what vivifies this world. Well, actually, all the souls together as they form one entity are Knesset Yisrael, which is the Shekhinah. And when we call Hashem's essence through the Torah, we are bringing additional light to the source of all Jewish souls. So each of us in studying Torah, call Hashem by his name, by his personal name, as it were, asking him in his essence to turn to us. Through that, we draw his essence down on the source of our souls. The source of our souls is really one. So by each of us studying Torah, we call down Hashem's very essence upon the souls of all of Israel. It's pretty amazing. Al Yidei Eisek HaTayra Nikrei shine Kriya this illumination which one draws through his Torah study is referred to as calling, as in the Talmudic expression concerning a Torah student, Kore Batora, usually translated as one who reads, studies the Torah, but reinterpreted here as one who calls God through the Torah. So if you want to say someone's studying Torah, you say he is Kore Batora. Now, simply translated, you could say it means he's reading the Torah. But Kore Torah could also be translated as he is calling through the Torah. When somebody sits and studies Torah, he's calling Hashem, calling Hashem's very essence through the Torah. And again, to understand what the essence of Hashem is, is we, we can't even imagine. There's a beautiful story of the author of the Tanya. He once had his little grandson on his lap. And this is the third Chabad Rebbe. Rabbi Menachem Mendel, the Tzemach Tzedek. And he said, Zayda, Zayda, grandfather, grandfather. And he said, where is grandfather? The grandfather is asking the son, where do you think I am? So he points to his grandfather's head. And he says, this is Zayda, this is Zayda. He goes, no, this is the head. But where is Zayda? So he points to his grandfather's heart. And he said, this is Zayda, this is Zayda. He said, no, that's the heart. Where is Zayda? And so the little child kept pointing to different parts of his grandfather. And the grandfather said, you know, this is this part of me. This is that part of me. But where am I? The little boy gets off his grandfather's lap, goes to the door, and he pretends that his finger got caught in the door. And he starts screaming, Zayda, Zayda. And he says, what is it? What is it? And he goes, there you are. There is Zayda. There is grandfather. And he's, when you turn to me in that way, I was reaching you who you are in your essence. When we're studying Torah, we're calling Hashem as he is in his essence. We're not calling him by a specific name, by a specific manifestation. We're calling him by his essence. When we're talking about manifestation, so there's different divine levels, as it were. When we're talking about the essence, there are no levels. The essence is the essence. And specifically through Torah study, we draw down not just some infinite light of Hashem. We draw down His very essence and we're calling Him through our essence. So we're bringing His essence down over our own innerness and our own essence. Kairi Batayra Perush Al Yedei Esek Hatayra 
This phrase means that in Torah study, one calls God to come to him, so to speak. As a man calls to his friend to come to him, or as a child will call his father to come and join him and not depart from him, leaving him alone, God forbid. So somebody who sits and studies Torah is calling to Hashem. When somebody prays to Hashem, he's calling to Hashem too, but he has some type of request. He's saying, please give me this, do this for me. We're still calling Hashem in his essence when we're calling him through his names. But at this place already, it's some level of divine manifestation. When we're calling Hashem through the Torah, there's no request. It's just come be with me. I don't want to be separated from you. Let's be together. That's what Torah study is. The Talmud has a most fascinating idea. The the question becomes like this. How do you know that you're supposed to make a blessing before studying Torah? And the answer is, read Parshish Hazinu. It says, Kishem Hashem Ekra Havu When I call the name Hashem, bring praise to Hashem. How does that answer the question? The question is, how do we know to make a blessing before reading the Torah? And the answer is, because when I call the name of Hashem, praise Hashem, bless Him. And the answer is, when I call out the name of Hashem means when I read the Torah. Because the Ramban says, stating from the Zohar and in his introduction to his commentary on the Torah, Kol Baruch Hu. The entire Torah consists of the names of Hashem. We read the Torah and we're reading some narrative. We understand some story. We don't realize that when we read the Torah, that which we understand is only some third level code. Really, in its essence, the Torah is incomprehensible. The Torah entirely consists of the names of Hashem. That's it. We said everybody, each of us has our own private name. That when we call that name, we're calling the person's very essence. The Torah is Hashem's private names. When we call the Torah, when we call Hashem through the Torah, we are calling him by his private name. And this unbelievable idea is brought down by the Baal Shem Tov. We're looking at the last eight Pesukim of the Torah. And it's describing how Moshe passes away and describes who Moshe is. These are the last eight verses of the Torah. So the question is, isn't Moshe writing the Torah, right? Hashem is dictating the Torah. Moshe is writing the Torah. How is Moshe writing that he passed away? And Rashi asked this question, quoting from the Talmud. So he said, could it be that Moshe is writing that he died? No. Moshe writes up to here. And the last eight verses are written by Yehoshua. But Rabbi Meir raises a question. He says, could it be that a Sefer Torah is missing anything? A Sefer Torah cannot be missing anything. And Moshe presented the Torah to the Jewish people. How could he have presented an incomplete Torah? Impossible. So what was going on? Hashem was dictating and Moshe was transcribing Bidema with tears. How does that answer the question? Okay, so Moshe's writing that he died. But he's writing that he died and he's crying. And therefore what? Is it true or is it not true? If he's writing the Torah and he's alive, it can't be that something's false. So the Baal Shem Tov says like this. The question really goes back much further. Our sages teach us that the Torah preceded the world. 
If the Torah preceded the world, then what meaning is there to the account of creation? What meaning is there to the account of the Exodus? All these things transpired later. This is very hard to understand. And similarly, how is it helping us to know that Moshe wrote Bedema with tears? He said, you have to read the word Bedema differently. We're translating Dema as tears, but Dema has another meaning, and that is a mixture. As in the words from the Torah, these are from tithes that you have to separate until then they are mixed up. When Hashem gave the Torah, and those last eight verses didn't yet transpire, Moshe wrote them out in their letter combinations, but nobody understood what that meant. Because remember, primarily, the Torah is incomprehensible. What is the Torah essentially? The names of Hashem. So when he wrote those last eight verses, he wrote them bidema, not to be understood as tears, to be understood as a mixture. He put letter combinations that we could not understand. When he passed away, his student, Yehoshua, then arranged the letters in a way that they were comprehensible as a narrative. And this is true with all of history. The Torah as it existed preceding the world was incomprehensible. As history unfolded, those letter combinations became meaningful. All this is to underscore the fact that we don't even understand what the Torah is. The Torah as we understand it is whatever we understand, we understand. But truthfully, in its very source, the Torah defies any comprehension because the Torah, all it is, is the names of Hashem. And this is what happens every time we study Torah. We're calling Hashem by his name. We're saying, come be with me in your very essence. I'm not asking you of anything. I just want you. I want you to be with me. I don't want to separate from you. So we were talking about studying Torah is like a friend who calls his friend to come be close to him. A child, small child who calls his father to come be with him. The former analogy pertains to those Jews designated as brethren and friends of God. When they study Torah, they call their friend. The latter analogy pertains to those designated as children of God. When they study Torah, they are calling their father. So there's different kinds of souls. Some souls are called friends of Hashem. Some souls are called children of Hashem. And depending what kind of soul you have, that's the kind of calling you're doing. Either you're calling your friend to come be with you or you're calling your father to come be with you. But whatever it is, in reading the Torah, we are calling through the Torah. We're calling Hashem's very essence with no agenda. We're not asking for anything. We're just saying, come be with me. This is the meaning of the verse from Tehillim. God is near, A, to all who call him, and B, to all who call him in truth. So what does this mean? King David writes in Tehillim, God is close to all who call him, to all those who call him in truth. And commentators on the Tehillim over there explain that Hashem is call, close to anybody who calls to him. doesn't matter which nation they're from. One requirement is that they have to call with sincerity, with truth. So you read the verse and you understand Hashem is close to anybody who calls him, no matter what their denomination, as long as they're calling out sincerely. That's on a simple level. But if we're going to look at it more analytically, we're going to wonder, why the repetition? Why does it have to say God is close to all who call him and then to all those who call him in truth? And that's because there's two ways of calling Hashem. There's the standard way of calling him 
And then there's the way of calling him in truth. And what does that mean? And our sages teach us that there is no truth but Torah, indicating that one who calls God with truth, as opposed to simply calling God only by calling God through Torah study. So Hashem is close to anybody who calls him, but then there's a much higher level of closeness, and that is he is close to anybody who calls him in truth. And our sages say that truth means the Torah. There's a supreme level of closeness, essence to essence, that happens when a person studies Torah. They're calling Hashem in His very essence to come be with Him. In contrast to one who does not call Him through Torah study, but merely cries, Father, Father. This refers to the service of prayer in which one calls God out of love for Him, saying, Father. Such a call is not considered calling with truth. And thus, the illumination of godly light generated by this call cannot compare with that generated by Torah, as explained above. Over he who thus calls God, the prophet laments, there is none who calls you by your name, as is explained elsewhere. Since the prophet does not simply say there is none who calls you, his intention must be that although there are indeed those who call God, Yet they do not do so by his name, meaning through the Torah, whose words throughout are the names of God. Ramban, introductory, introduction to his commentary on the Torah based on the Zohar. So the prophet is lamenting. He said, he says, There is none who calls by your name, arouses himself to cling to you. When he's complaining about this, when he's lamenting the fact that nobody's calling God by his name, he doesn't mean no one's calling God. People are calling God, but they're not calling him by his name. And how do people call Hashem by his name? Through the Torah. There's only one way to draw down his essence like that, and that's through Torah study. And we have no other experience like that in the world. Like even somebody who loves all forms of learning and intellectual stimulation, appreciates the sciences and philosophy and spirituality. So then they have deep intellectual pleasure they have excitement exhilaration but there's always something lacking when someone studies torah they have this special instrument this special conduit where they can actually call hashem by his name and say come be with me literally the torah consists of the names of hashem and when we study torah we have this experience available like in no other way we literally get to pull down Hashem's very essence upon the source of our soul. And that means also upon the source of all of Israel, essence to essence over our innerness. And the prophet is saying, how come nobody does this? Why doesn't anybody call you by your name? Yeah, a lot of people call you. They're praying to you. And of course, prayer is very important. But they're failing to call you by your name. By dwelling on this matter, the intelligent person will derive means of drawing upon himself a great awe of God when he engages in Torah study, as explained above in chapter 23. There it is stated that one's Torah study must be permeated with awe of God, despite the apparent incompatibility between the intellectual boldness that characterizes study and the constraint engendered by awe, 
This awe, moreover, is the goal of Torah study, while study is merely the gateway. The thought that in Torah study, one calls to God himself, just as, for example, one calls to his friend to come to him, will surely arouse in the student a feeling of intense awe of Hashem. So when we become aware of what we're doing in Torah study, that we're literally calling Hashem by his name and pulling down not some divine manifestation, but actually his very essence over our innerness, that engenders awe. And in fact, Torah study is meant to engender awe. The Talmud calls Torah study Tara Ladarta, a gateway to the dwelling. The dwelling where we're wanting to arrive at is Av Hashem. And what gets us there is Torah study. So we discussed three incredible advantages to Torah study. One, Torah study engages the inner garments of the animal soul and even the essence of the animal soul, which is different than any other mitzvah, which uses the external garments of the animal soul. Secondly, Torah study draws down a divine light comparable to the divine light which is in the intellect. If we're looking at life force in our mind versus life force in the rest of the body, the life force in the brains is much stronger. The divine light that we draw down through Torah study is comparable to the life force in the brains. And thirdly, what we studied right here is Torah study is calling Hashem by His name, calling His very essence, asking Him to be with us and not depart from us. When we do that, we pull down his very essence over our innerness. And that brings a great awe of Hashem. And yet, nevertheless, our sages still said, That study is not the main thing, but deed. It's because we cannot forget what our purpose here. Our purpose here is to make this, whole, this world a home for Hashem. And that is primarily achieved through action mitzvahs through the animal soul, through the body, through utilizing the world. That is the most effective in taking the physicality of this world and raising it up to holiness. However, if that's being taken care of by somebody else, somebody else is doing the mitzvah, then we should concentrate on Torah study because Torah study draws down divine manifestation like no other mitzvah does. So we just finished chapter 37. And it's a really big mazel tov. It is one of the most central chapters in the Tanya. And let's review what we learned right from the beginning, okay? So we talked about how the reality of the future is being created by us right now. Because every time we use an object for holiness in the act of a mitzvah, we remove it from the realm of Klippat Noga and we infuse it with holiness. We draw down the light of the Ainsof within that object. Not only the object becomes elevated, but our animal soul, which powers the mitzvah, becomes elevated to holiness. And not just the animal soul becomes elevated to holiness, but everything that energized our animal soul in fulfilling this mitzvah becomes elevated as well. Remember, we talked about the food, the drinks, the factories, whatever propelled the mitzvah gets elevated to holiness. Now, when all the Jewish vital souls are elevated to holiness, the entire world will be elevated to holiness. Because remember, we said that the Jewish soul is the life force of this world. And the whole world depends on the Jewish soul and its fulfillment of Torah and mitzvot. Looking at this, the world through these lenses, we've come to appreciate the mitzvah of charity, of tzedakah. Because when a person earns the money to give to tzedakah, they invest literally the essence of their animal soul in it. And when they give that money to tzedakah and consecrate it to holiness, they consecrate the soul that was invested in that money. 
Nevertheless, even though action mitzvahs are so important, and we specifically looked at the mitzvah of tzedakah, but all action mitzvahs are what change this world, engage the physicality of the world, engage our vital soul and our body, are so important. They elevate everything to holiness. Our sages still said that Torah study outweighs them all. Why is that? And so that is because Torah study influences our animal soul like no other mitzvah does. It aligns our animal consciousness with Hashem by engaging its inner garments, which are much more intimate to it, that is thought and speech, by actually being able to transform the intellect of the animal soul in Torah study. And not just that, through Torah study, we draw down the divine life force that's comparable to the life force, which is within the mind, in contrast to the life force, which is in the rest of the body. And furthermore, what we just learned right now is that Torah is actually calling Hashem by his name calling to his very essence, not a descriptive term, but who he is in his essence, in his totality, if we can even fathom that. When we study Torah, we call him essence to essence to be with us. We pull his essence down over our own innerness and where we are in our deepest place, we're really all one. So we bring down this level of his essence, not just upon our own soul, but upon the souls of all the Jewish people. Yeah, so this whole thing about the Shekhinah is is like so different than what I have learned. <clears throat> I mean, you know, we're supposed to bring down the Shekhinah and the Shekhinah rests in, in you know, the Aaron Kodesh and all this stuff. And now you're, you've basically said, no, that's the culmination of our souls uniting, right? So I'm really confused about what it is. Okay, thank you for that question. So the Shekhinah is, like you mentioned, everything that you said. It's the divine presence. Earlier in this chapter, we even visited the concept of Said Galas HaShekhinah, the secret of the exile of the Shekhinah. That the Shekhinah, which is the divine presence, it's a manifestation of Hashem, not his very essence, a very high level of divine manifestation, vivifies this world. Not only does it vivify the holiness of the world, but it vivifies everything of the world even things that defy Hashem. And that is the concept of the exile of the Shekhinah, that the Shekhinah vivifies the entirety of the world, even things that defy Hashem. Shekhinah comes from the word shochenet, mitlabeshet, that, mitla that means, that means uh, um, dwells and clothes itself within. The Shekhinah is everywhere. But when we're talking about hashras Hashkina, where the Shekhinah rests, like manifests, that's only in very specific places, like you mentioned the, the Holy Ark. It's very different where it is and then where it is manifest. The Jewish souls, like we learned in chapter 2 in Tanya, are a part of Hashem above. We literally have a divine spark within us. If we trace to the place where we're all one, because at one point we're all one, we're Hashem's very breath, at that place where the souls are, they are called the Shekhinah, Knesset Yisrael. It's, it's, we talked about how the whole world depends on the Jewish soul. The soul is, Rabbi Ari Kaplan calls the Jewish soul the inner space of the universe. Everything else, the worlds and the angels, they're all the external space. But what vivifies the, uniform, the universe, the soul of the universe, is the Shekhinah, and that's the Jewish soul in our source. Meaning, as the soul comes down to this world and is then enclosed in a body, 
it takes on a separate consciousness and it is no longer just a divine spark. It actually has a consciousness of its own and is considered a created being. But if you trace the soul back through the world to its source, then as, it, as we move up, there's less of its own consciousness and in a certain place, it becomes just one with Hashem. We were paralleling, in the beginning of this chapter, we were paralleling the fact that the soul comes down here just in order to elevate sparks, just in order to elevate a body and a vital soul is mind-boggling. Why would a divine spark come down here just for that reason? And the Altar says this parallels exactly the mystery of the Gullus of the Shekhinah, the exile of the Shekhinah. That's what the Shekhinah does. It's here energizing a world just to elevate it. It seems like it doesn't make sense. Why would a godly something, something of a godly nature, come down to a world of physicality just to elevate it? But we don't understand it. And our soul coming down here is exactly the same idea in a microcosm because our soul really is part of the Shekhinah.